For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome back to the Jet Press Podcast. My name is Justin Freed and I'm joined as always by my man, Mike Luciano. Mike, how you doing today, buddy? What's going on? Well, personally, I'm feeling okay, but there is a big uh, safety-sized, maybe six-foot, 205-pound uh, hole right now in me that uh, we will get into a little bit later. We also get into some bold predictions, so stay tuned to the end of the show for that because we are going to uncork some potentially wild ones. But before we do any of that stuff, let's get the housekeeping out of the way first. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it may be that you may get your podcast. That is where we are. We are also on YouTube at the Jet Press. We are really close to 200 subscribers over there. So thank you guys so much for subscribing. If you want to be that lucky one, it could potentially be you. Head over to the Jet Press. Hit that subscribe button. Also, make sure you hit that little bell so you can get notified whenever we go live. You can also make sure to check this out. Justin did a very good interview with Thomas Morstead. The Jets punter, his second go around. He is a fan of the program. We love Thomas. We hope he has a great season. That is up on the Jet Price. You can go check that out. But before we do any of that, it is safety talk time because we got to go into this whole Chuck Clark thing because Chuck Clark was kind of an under-the-radar move when it happened especially because that was in the middle of the Aaron Rodgers hysteria where every notification, we were just staring at our phones, looking to see if that was going to be the Aaron Rodgers move. We didn't know it would last for an entire month. Nobody did. But in the middle of that, the Jets end up picking up Chuck Clark for, a, uh, I think, a seventh-round pick in 2024. And while Clark is not a perfect player, I think Ravens fans kind of had mixed opinions of him last year because I think that's just kind of the nature of how he is as a player. For a team that needed a safety very badly, that needed a veteran safety very badly, They got a guy who's versatile. They got a guy who plays every day, which is very important. Probably one of the main reasons they got him. They got a guy who hits hard, and he's a vocal leader. That seems like a perfect Joe Douglas pick, a perfect Robert Sala pick to come into this defense and help out. So we finally get Chuck Clark into camp. Now, keep in mind, this is a guy who I believe has not missed an entire game for injury in his NFL career. He's been inactive a couple times. He's probably missed one or two a handful there, but he has been an Ironman playing all the time for the Ravens. And before we even see him in Jets green, he suffers a significant knee injury. I'm not sure. Maybe Justin, you've heard about the specifics of it. I've heard it could be an ACL. He's going for a second opinion on that. But it's such a serious knee injury that it pretty much sounds like this is the end of Chuck Clark this season in 2023. And there are also probably a good chance this might be it for Chuck Clark with the New York Jets before it even really gets off the ground. Because now he's going to be a year older with an ACL tear. He's certainly not guaranteed a roster spot. And this is just an absolute gut punch, mostly for the reason that I alluded to earlier, which is just the freaking durability of this guy. He didn't miss a game ever for the Ravens. And then he comes to the Jets. He barely has any practices, significant ACL blowout. So this is obviously going to go put an even bigger microscope on Jordan Whitehead, who we thought he was going to team with. Now it's back to being Jordan Whitehead and probably LaMarcus Joyner and probably 
a guy like an Ashton Davis or a Trey Dean or even a Tony Adams. Will Parks has since been released. We're sorry that Will Parks got cut, but he's probably no longer in the mix for that. So the Jets' safety room, even though they signed a veteran that we'll get into a little bit later, who I think is a good signing for the Jets, we've hinted at earlier, this was not plan A. Plan A was Chuck Clark being a starting strong safety and being a huge veteran addition to this defense. That can't happen now because when the Jets, I guess the Jets hit their fun quota, and once they hit the fun quota, something really tragic's got to happen. It's like the Elijah Moore thing. Oh, we're five and two, we're doing good. Fun's got to get knocked down. Elijah Moore thing. Oh, Aaron Rodgers, offseason, good, good vibes. Goodbye. No, no more fun for you. Chuck Clark out for the year. It's it's not same old Jets. It's nothing that it's clearly not their fault. But I mean, this is this is same old Jets, man. This is what they do. Uh, you're you're so right about like the fun quota thing. Because yesterday, yes, first of all, I appreciate the Jets doing their news dump on Tuesday and not Wednesday, so we can actually talk about it on the show and we went the way a week. Um, but yeah, yesterday was a whirlwind because the Jets go out and sign Adrian Amos, which. I was super happy when that happened. We've talked about this on the show that we thought the Jets needed to add more of a traditional free safety. And we'll, we'll get in Amos a little bit later. He can play both. But he was definitely more of a traditional free safety than either Chuck Clark or Jordan Whitehead. So I was very excited when they did sign Adrian Amos. And I'm like, wow, they actually saw the safety position as a need. They actually saw they needed to add another free safety. And now they have three starting caliber safeties on their roster. That was that was the mindset. And I was very, very happy. I, I was It was a great day. And then a few hours later, it's reported that Chuck Clark suffered a serious knee injury. Uh, the extent we we don't know at this point at the time of recording, but it does sound like it is an ACL. It does sound like the Jets fear there is ACL damage. He is getting a second opinion, but it doesn't sound good. Uh, whether he misses the entire year, you know, most of it, whatever, the Jets are seemingly preparing to be without him this year, which is why they pivoted and signed, and signed Adrian Amos. This sucks. Like this sucks. Uh, as a person who's a, a huge fan of Chuck Clark, I, I followed him in Baltimore. You know, I, I wrote about the Ravens for a few years, so I followed him there. Team leader, just beloved in that locker room. One of the most respected guys on that team. He's a former sixth round pick who kind of clawed his way up in the NFL to become. He he wore the green dot in in green in in Baltimore. He was their defensive play caller. Like you said, he hasn't missed a game due to injury in his entire NFL career. He's played over twelve hundred consecutive defensive snaps. He's missed two games ever, which was. One, his rookie season, he was a healthy scratch, one early game. And then in 2021, he missed a game due to COVID. That's it. He's never had any kind of injury, there's, you know, let alone to this extent, uh, in his career. And it sucks. It sucks that, unfortunately, in June, it seems as though his season might be over and the Jets lost a a, a damn good starter. Because I, I, we talked about this literally on the show last week. We were saying the best or the our favorite moves that the Jets made this offseason. And aside from the Aaron Rodgers move, my favorite move was the Chuck Clark trade. Literally a week ago at this time, I was raving about the Chuck Clark trade and how I, I thought it was a great move for the Jets. And I think legitimately, I, I thought, and I still do think that Chuck Clark is the best safety on the Jets roster right now. I think he's better than Jordan Whited. I think he's better than Adrian Amos. So this is not a, a small you know uh, development by any means. This is a significant thing that happened. Uh, and unfortunately for Chuck Clark, it means that you know, I don't know what his future holds. You know, he's on the last year of his deal with the Jets. I'm not sure what the future holds for him in 2024. But for the short term, yeah, the Jets are going to be without a player who I believe was their best safety, who I believe they got for exceptional value this offseason. And it, it just sucks. I feel for Chuck Clark, the player. And I definitely feel for this Jets team that just seemingly can't catch a break with this kind of stuff. The other thing that stinks, too, is while this concept, I feel like gets kind of overblown, overanalyzed, the whole idea of postseason experience. Or like bring a veteran to a younger like there's there's guys over there. The Jets aren't just like a bunch of neophytes. You have Aaron Rodgers, you have a bunch of battle scarred guys. I get that, but on a defense that is still incredibly young, on a secondary that is largely incredibly young, 
not having Chuck Clark next to a guy like Sauce Gardner, next to a guy who, although he's been in the league for a couple of years, I would even say DJ Reed is still generally a very young player. This is like his fifth or sixth year in the league. He's a younger player. You got young defensive ends. You got young linebackers. This is a guy who is a bona fide leader and a bona fide guy who's been in the postseason a bunch of times. And look, he's had some mistakes. No safety's perfect. Defensive back play can be tough to evaluate because if you get burned for one 60-yard touchdown once, then everything good you do forever just gets like that sent into your replies, and you can just never overcome the stigma of it. So I get that it could be kind of hard to evaluate defensive back play, but this is a guy who is a tremendous cover safety for a very long time in a bunch of different defenses. He always found a way to just find this little role and carve something out and make something happen. I mean, this guy was a six-round pick. This guy was a complete afterthought when he came into the league, and he just busted his ass. That's the kind of personality that Robert Sala likes on his defense. And now, totally gone. And you're really, I want to say back to square one, because they do have Amos coming in, but as we'll discuss later, we're not really sure of what, I'm not really 100% sure what his impact's going to be. And now you're pretty much, I don't really see too much movement on the safety position, which was their big issue on defense last year. Because as we discussed a bunch, they weren't throwing the ball against Sauce Garner and moving it. They weren't moving it against DJ Reed. So where are they moving it? They were going deep against the safeties. And I know Joyner got a couple interceptions, but spare me. That that is no bearing on my evaluation of Lamarcus Joyner. Sometimes there's tip balls. I think two of them were the Pittsburgh game where Kenny Pickett was just lobbing hospital balls in his first ever action. Like, I, I don't really buy that as some, like, sort of, oh, Lamarcus Joyner is great. If there's a Lamarcus Joyner stand out there, you hit, hit my line. I don't care. I'll, I'll debate you. Chuck Clark was a clear upgrade. Now he's gone. And again, the worst part too is I know he's got one year left on his deal. So this may not be, this may be it for him. I mean, and the sad part too is, I mean, not to get overly melancholy. I want to make it look like the guy died out here, but I mean, next year he's going to be a 29 year old defensive back coming off a serious knee injury. I mean, that's going to, he might just have to take a one year prove it deal somewhere. I don't see him getting any sort of multi-year deal in a year where he probably viewed it as a prove-it year on a good team with a good defense and a respect by a respected coach or respected defensive mind and Robert Sala. I mean, this was a golden opportunity for player and team alike. And just the vengeful fingers of, of the football God said, nope, not having it. And, and that sucks. You're, you're absolutely right on that whole communication and leadership front because Jets fan, or Jets coaches have raved about Clark this entire spring about the leadership value that he brings. He very much has that C.J. Mosley factor to him where aside from what he does on the field, the tangible stuff that you could see, he is a vocal on-field and off-field leader. He was that in Baltimore. Like I said, he was their defensive play caller there until they brought in Roquan Smith. That is a really talented and respected Ravens defense. And Chuck Clark was their defensive play caller for a safety as well, which is not super common. Usually you get you know, the Mike linebackers, the play caller. So the Jets were very much expecting that communication, that leadership to really tie together a lot of this defense. Uh, and another aspect of it that I think, you know, Jets fans may have overlooked is that I think the biggest issue with the Jets safeties last year was tackling. It wasn't even coverage. It was tackling because any time that, you know, running backs or whoever got through to the second level, you you had, you know, the safeties missing tackles, whether it was Marcus Joyner, whether it was Jordan Whitehead. That was a big issue for the Jets last year. Chuck Clark is one of the best tackling safeties in football. He's, you know, graded out super well in that area. I think he missed like five tackles all of last year or something like that. He's an excellent, excellent tackler. And so not having him there, that really hurts. I know Adrian Amos is a pretty good tackler in his own right. You hope that Jordan Whitehead could bounce back, although that's been an issue for him his entire career. 
it just sucks. It sucks losing that player because not only from an on-field perspective was he expected to be, in my opinion, you know, their best safety, but that leadership aspect, that character aspect, that communication aspect, he was a huge part of what they planned to do on defense. And maybe even, you know, there was some talk that they can maybe even play him at linebacker. Quan Alexander is still a free agent. So unless they're relying solely on Jamie and Sherwood or they bring back Quan Alexander, that, you know, they're going to have some some snaps to fill there. And I wouldn't have been surprised at all if Chuck Clark played a little linebacker, maybe a nickel packages, right? If they go like a 3-3-5, I don't know how much 3-3-5 the Jets played last year, but if they do and they have the nickel package and the three linebackers, I'd much rather have Chuck Clark in that role than someone like Jamie and Sherwood. You can't do that now. I don't think they're playing Jordan Whitehead down there, and I don't think Adrian Amos is playing down there either. So Amos isn't necessarily a direct replacement for Clark, even though he's going to have to fill that role. Uh, I just don't think he can fill what exactly Clark was going to do, which that's a shame. You know, you're just not going to get a guy that could fill that role in June. So it hurts for the Jets. It sucks so much for Clark. Like you said, it's just brutal. It's brutal losing any player due to injury in June, let alone a guy who you are, you are relying on heavily. And the Adrian Amos thing, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I got some next gen stats here. Rich Samini, thanks for the tweet out because uh, kind of illustrates the differences between these two players. So in more in more than a hundred more coverage snaps, Chuck Clark had an Adrian Amos five forty five to four twenty seven. He had fewer targets thirty five to forty two in favor of Clark. Fewer catches allowed. The yards difference is huge. Only one hundred sixty one yards against Clark, three forty nine against Amos. Clark had one touchdown, no picks. Amos had two with one pick. So maybe that kind of evens out there. The passer rating, big difference, eighty point eight, ninety eight point two. So. The numbers show Chuck Clark is a superior player to Adrian Amos. I think that even most Jets fans would probably say, and even probably Joe Douglas, if he had like a truth serum, would say Chuck Clark's a better player right now than Adrian Amos. But I feel like this is the best they could have done with the hand they were given. Maybe outside of John Johnson, who's probably looking for like a longer-term deal and a lot more money, if you just want to sign like a one-year stopgap guy, I feel like this is the best guy in the market. So a uh, quick crash course for those of you that aren't into Adrian Amos. Uh, he split the last uh, eight years of his career evenly between the Bears and the Packers, four and four, a uh, former Penn State guy. So again, fifth round pick, another late round guy. He is, I would say, a completely average defensive back right now. I think that I don't think he has one particularly exceptional trait. I think he's okay in coverage. I think he's an okay hitter. I think he moves well okay in space. I think he'll get some picks every now and again. He has 10 in eight seasons and usually has about one or two a year. He's kind of alternated one and two for the last, I think, five or six years. Another experienced guy. He's got playoff experience a bunch with the Packers. He's a lot more risk-reward than Chuck Clark. There are a lot more big plays as we established via the yards uh, stat over there going against Adrian Amos than Chuck Clark. So you're just going to have to deal with that when you play as Adrian Amos. And again, he's an older defensive back. Last year particularly, even though he had a lot of tackles, was not his best season. I think the Packers really didn't think too hard about bringing him back. I think they knew it was time to move on from Adrian Amos. So all of that does not make it sound like the most attractive piece. But if you just want to write off last year as kind of an anomaly and maybe Robert Hall thinks I got the secret ingredient, maybe one or two tweaks, maybe we put him in one or two different roles that he wasn't in in Green Bay, I think you could get an average starting safety, which for a guy who was signed on June 13th as an injury replacement, there's not a ton of guys out there that could really do that. So Amos is kind of a, kind of a playing with house money move because if he stinks, he's not owed a lot of money and he was the backup plan anyway. So it's really not some great referendum on Joe Douglas or some referendum on Robert Sala's, you know, talent evaluation ability. It's 
them trying to plug a hole. And then if it works, great. You got to revitalize Adrian Amos, who was a starter pretty consistently for eight years in the league. Now, the funny part, though, is he has not missed a game in quite some time either. So if he pulls a Chuck Clark and gets hurt again, I don't know what I would do. That would be very, very Jets, unfortunately. Uh, quick, quick fun fact about Adrian Amos. I think it was, I think it was also Rich Semini that tweeted this out. The Bears actually, you know, they drafted him in the fifth round, like you mentioned. They used the pick that they got in the Brandon Marshall trade. So this is sort of a little wow. Little okay, you know, just a little throwing that out there. I think it was Rich Semini. Shout out Rich Semini who pointed that out. Um, but yeah, Adrian Amos. Up until last year, I would have said he was one of the most consistently good and above average safeties in the NFL. There were a couple of years where he was genuinely a great safety. Uh, I think he really helped change because there was that one year the Packers spent a ton of money on yeah, defense. He, he was one of the big additions. He helped change that defense after years of being For awful. sure. Because that was that was the same year I believe him. Uh, ha ha Clinton Dix was was also free agent or something like that. It's something like I think that was Lafleur's yeah, first and year. They brought in Amos to Green so. to to Green Bay, uh, and and he's been really really good in in with the Packers for the last few years. Unfortunately, like you mentioned, he's coming off a disappointing year. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I've watched every Adrian Amos snap in Green Bay because I haven't. I've seen the numbers. I've seen some clips. Uh, but I also I want to point out that there's another interesting aspect of this. You mentioned the scheme. Uh, Packers fans, if you listen, if you talk to Packers fans at all about their defense over the last couple of years. I'm about done with talking to Packers fans after the last Fair. month. Or well, let's not talk about Rodgers. We're talking about their defense, right? If you talk to any Packers fan about their defense, a lot of them will not have many kind things to say about their current defensive coordinator, Joe Barry. Now, Joe Barry took over for former Jets defensive coordinator, Mike Pettin. Mike Pettin was let go. That was, again, uh, Matt LaFleur came in and kind of changed some things around. They didn't They didn't renew his contract. Pettin had, had Amos and Dar- Darnell Savage, the other Packers starting safety, playing some really, really, really good football. And then after Barry took over, a lot of players in that defense regressed, Amos included. Now, he was still not bad in 2021, but he wasn't as good as he was before that. And Savage has you know, seen his career kind of tank since then. Uh, so maybe maybe that plays a part in it. Again, I haven't watched all of Adrian Amos' snaps, so I can't say that definitively, but I think that could play a role in this. Amos is a very versatile player. He has plenty of experience playing both free safety and strong safety. He did play more snaps at free safety than strong safety last year, but he can definitely do both. I think with the Jets, he'll probably fill more of that traditional free safety role, but I don't know if the Jets are even really concerned about that, given that they were prepared to go into the year with Jordan White and Chuck Clark anyway as their two safeties. So I, I think that they're kind of just looking for versatile safeties who can switch. Uh, and Adrian Amos is that guy. I think, you know, you mentioned him. I think I would have preferred John Johnson. I don't know what his contract demands were looking like. I don't know what he was asking for, but I think that John Johnson is just, a better overall player right now, given that I'm, I have concerns about how bad Amos was last year. Cause he was genuinely not good. I liken it a little bit to, and I don't, you know, don't, don't take this the wrong way, but I liken it a little bit to LaMarcus Joyner signing where they're getting a guy who's kind of an, an older veteran defensive back who's coming off a bad year. And Joyner's case was coming off a couple of bad years where he was playing nickel for the Raiders where he should not have been doing that. Uh, and they're hoping that they can get the pre bad form of him. You know, where Joyner, in Joyner's case, he had some really good years with the Rams. He was a really good player. Amos was great with the Bears, had some really, really good years with the Packers, and then is coming off a bad year. So I think the Jets are seeing Amos, and they're kind of hoping that in their scheme, they can maximize his talents a little bit more. They're hoping that last year is not necessarily a sign of things to come. Because even though, what is he, is he 29 right now, 30? Uh, he's, Adrian Amos he just turned 30. 30. Yeah, he just turned 30. Happy birthday, like two months ago. Um Yes, happy birthday, yeah, Adrian. Birth- my birthday's tomorrow, by the way. Ha ha. I don't just 
Oh, happy birthday, Justin, too. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think that they're hoping uh, that, you know, that it's it's not a sign of things to come. He's not necessarily old. Like, he's not like he's 33. So I'm not sure if his his decline last year was necessarily because of age or if it was just a bad year or if it was because of the scheme. I need I would like to dive more into that. I'd like to watch more of his tape. Haven't had the chance to do that yet. Uh, but I think that's kind of what the Jets are hoping for here. And, you know, that's that's the best they could do really at this stage, like you said, unless they went out and signed John Johnson, which, by the way, I would not be opposed at all if the Jets wanted to sign John Johnson still after heading Adrian Amos. I don't think they're going to do it, but they totally should. Getting back to the whole Joe Barry point that you make, I thought it was interesting. So what you're telling me is the guy who was the defensive coordinator of the 2008-0-16 Lions <laughs> – and then tried to re, uh, revitalize his career with the Jay Gruden at the time, the Redskins, now the Washington Commanders. You're telling me that that guy was not a good defensive coordinator and play so. caller? And if you ask Packers fans, I don't, I don't think so. They don't like him very much. <laughs> Man, that's got to be torture, watching those 0-16 lines as a Packers fan, and then you go, we think the guy in charge of that defense, like the worst defense mm-hmm. ever, he'll fix everything. So I'm glad you brought up Joyner. I think it's slightly different, though, because – I think Joyner was more of a complete dart throw because there were a bunch of bad years stacked on top of one another for LaMarcus Joyner. I think his prime was so much farther away. And again, just physically, it's you know, he's what, like a 5'8 mm-hmm. safety? I mean, there really aren't that many guys like that anyway. And the few ones that have been out there, they really haven't aged that well. Like how many 5'9 safeties keep playing that long and keep playing at a high level that long? Adrian Amos obviously did not have an amazing year last year. Otherwise, I think he'd st- still be with the Packers probably. But we've seen better play from Adrian Amos more recently than LaMarcus Joyner. Sure. So I think it's less of just let's take this guy, let the chips fall where they may, or he's going to play. If he's great, then he's great. If not, he's going to be the weak link in our defense. That's, I think, how they viewed LaMarcus it's Joyner. Adrian Amos, I think, is more of a like ready-made Difference maker it's interesting, guy. too, because Amos actually had a decent market. I don't know what John Johnson's market right is, is right now. I haven't heard anything about it. The Ravens brought Amos in for a couple of visits. The Packers were still interested. In fact, from what we've heard, the Ravens were like nearly going to side Adrian Amos. He had his second visit with the Ravens on Monday. And generally, when a player visits with a team for you know two times, they're probably getting close to some kind of a deal, or at least they're, they're very much thinking about it. The Jets kind of came in and realized that they had to act quickly, and that's why they signed Amos. But Amos has had a deal. And like you said – the Packers, you know, even even though he had a bad year last year, Packers were still interested in bringing him back. And if you talk to most Packers fans, they'll say that A.J. Amos is still a really good player, even though he's coming off a down year. So he definitely had a market, uh, maybe even more of a market than John Johnson. Maybe this is a case of like DeAndre Hopkins, where the NFL is just not as high on a player as we seemingly are. Uh, but it is interesting that he did have a market and that the Jets kind of had to, you know, act act quickly there. Well, I, I just think that goes to show the attractiveness of the Jets and that the rest of the league is like Adrian Amos could have taken a one year, $4 million deal anywhere. I think the fact that he went to the Jets is like, all right, I believe in the Jets, which is it, all, it also comes down to obviously playing time. Like in in, in Baltimore, he yeah. was going to be the third safety. He wasn't going to be like they have Marcus Williams. They have Kyle Hamilton. So he wasn't going to start there with the Jets. He's going to start now because Chuck Clark's out. So I think that has have, plays a part, but also, hey. It's another former Packers player. He's playing with Aaron Rodgers. He's playing with Nathaniel Hackett, with Alan Lazard, with all those guys that they got. I believe, actually, I counted it yesterday. They have nine former Packers on their roster right now. And if you include include Hackett, so eight and a coach, Um, which now two of those are like Malik Taylor and Adam Hankey, who were on the practice squad last year. So that that really shouldn't count too much. Uh, But obviously, you got Rodgers, Lazard, Cobb, Billy Turner, all those guys now. Now Adrian Amos, there's a ton. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile 
and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, those are some, I would say those are some kind of questionable moves by Joe Douglas, like bringing in all the Packers, but some of them are some good Joe Douglas moves because Joe Douglas, in my opinion, can be kind of an all-over-the-place general manager because I was not in the, not the anti-Joe Douglas camp for all those like last couple years, but I think my theory was, like, all right, like it's been four years. Like, can I get like a winning season? Like, I don't think that that's crazy to end. Like, not every GM gets four years. Kind of thing. Like I know he got dealt a crappy hand, but other GMs get dealt a crappy hand and win quicker than that. Like John Lynch, I think is a good example of that. He did that. So I'm like, all right, you know, can we get something here, Joe Douglas? And then he shut me up big time with that draft class, and then with Aaron Rodgers, obviously. So he's been on the job now for four years officially, yep, I believe. Just passed it uh, earlier this month. Just, just past four years, and I think it's right now is the perfect time to do a little bit of a retrospective kind of look back on what he's gotten right and uh, what he's gotten wrong. And one move that just stands out to me, which I think for me, and I think you definitely know is the one he assuredly got wrong and everybody knows he got wrong was Zach Wilson and Joe Douglas better every day. He is head hits the pillow at night. He better thank whatever belief structure that he has in place, whoever he prays to that Aaron Rodgers, this whole thing happened because my God, I mean, how many GMs make a colossal mistake of that, that importance, that grand scale, and are not immediately fired. Because Zach, every, look, as a Jets fan, we've all tried to cope with the quarterback, Sam Darnold especially, because Darnold, like, had more flashes than I think some of the other ones. Like, Mark Sanchez obviously was being propped up by people around him. Christian Hackenberg people were just, like, lost souls that aren't even worth engaging with. Like, Darnold, at least people saw what, like they could see a future where he works because you could see he can make plays. Like Zach Wilson, we obviously know the arm talent, but that was one of those things where immediately you kind of knew because I mean the second game was that New England game with four picks, and then he gets shot out of Denver. So immediately he's off the back foot, and you're like, oh, this is this is not good at all. And I mean, it's been it's been proven. Like I know that people try to make it seem like Joe Douglas had this one was not set on him. He made this crazy pro day throw. And then Joe Douglas said, I got to have Zach Wilson. Cause that's how a GM would coach. He'd watch one workout and completely change his whole plans. Use your brain morons. <laughs> but, but the rest of the league, Douglas included, just completely blew it on this guy. And I think now if he, if Rogers really stinks, I think Joe Douglas is probably not going to keep his oh, job much. He's longer. done. But, I think part of the reason that it's such an ultimatum is because he messed up so royally with Zach Wilson that he has to know, everybody has to know, you can't make a mistake like this again. 
very rarely do GMs get to make a mistake like that again. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. I, and I know everyone will, you know, will, people will combat it and be like, I, I'll, I'll agree with this to an extent that it's not just Joe Douglas that loves Zach Wilson. It seems as though based on reports at the time that Zach Wilson was the consensus QB two behind Trevor Lawrence. I'm not sure if I'm going to believe the whole stuff saying that at least one team, I think it was Chris Sims reported that at least one team had Zach Wilson as their QB one. I don't know, but either way, the NFL was very high on Zach Wilson. So it's not a shock that Joe Douglas took him. He wasn't, it wasn't like a reach. It wasn't considered that. Uh, obviously not everyone was a fan of Zach Wilson, but the NFL as a whole was a consent. They were consensusly high on Zach Wilson, but unfortunately that doesn't matter. Like it, it doesn't matter at all. Unfortunately, uh, it didn't matter that, you know, the NFL was super high on Mitch Trubisky that the, you know, the, the NFL liked Trubisky over to Sean Watson and Patrick Mahomes, the bears still made a mistake drafting Mitch Trubisky. And I think we can all say that. Uh, and the jets obviously made a massive, massive blunder. Joe Douglas made a massive, massive blunder drafting Zach Wilson, who has, to this point, statistically, been, you know, we've said this on the show, we've said this a lot, statistically one of the worst quarterbacks in modern NFL history. Hopefully he turns it around. I really love the way he's handled this offseason. I'm pulling for him. I think all Jets fans should be pulling for him. But to this point, I mean, does he really have a choice how he's going to handle the offseason? What's he going to say? I'm going to well, beat out Aaron Rodgers. I think like he's, he's said all the right things, uh, especially, you know, given that he didn't say all the right things last year. That's progress, right? Um, but, you know, it's, <laughs> there's no question that that obviously has to be the worst move that Joe Douglas has made. I want to throw out an honorable mention out there for another, you know, we'll get to the good stuff in a second. Uh, but another one that definitely stands out as like a major stain on his resume with the Jets. And it's the entire 2020 draft class because that draft class looking back is brutal. Makai Becton, you really, really hope that he could turn it around. Obviously, injuries have just have played a, a major role there. Uh, but if you look at that entire roster, that entire draft class, which was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We're counting on the show now. Nine players in that draft class. Very Mike Francesa tribute right there. Just I, counting I, didn't to, I didn't want to count in silence, so I filled the air with my my words. So there you go. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> you learn from you learn from number one. Uh, but yes, nine players in that draft class. Not a single one of them is is guaranteed a starting role this year. And outside of Becton, none of them are going to be playing start or having or you know. They're none of them are going to be starters this year. Denzel Mims is not guaranteed a roster spot. Ashton Davis is not guaranteed a roster spot. Javari Zuniga's gone. Michael P. Ryan's gone. James Morgan never played. Cameron Clark, unfortunately, had the injuries. He is back with the organization, so that's great. Shout out Cam Clark, because that's awesome. Um, Bryce Hall, I would say, is not guaranteed a roster spot. I, I think he makes the team, but I would say he's not guaranteed a roster spot. And Braden Mann was just released this offseason. So that's your 2020 draft class. And that was his first draft class with the team. Obviously, it was a COVID year. Obviously, a lot of GMs kind of had, had issues with that. It was definitely not a good first year to be a GM or a, a G, you know, it wasn't a good uh, year for a GM to have his first draft. There you go. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, but unfor unfortunately it doesn't really matter. Again, we can make excuses for why he drafted Zach Wilson. We can make excuses for why the 2020 draft was bad, but at the end of the day, they were both major, major misses. Now he's had some good moves to go along with that, but those are definitely, I'd say the, the biggest stains on his resume to this point. So 2020 is a gigantic turd stain, if we're being quite honest. What is looking a lot better is 2022. But I want to hone in specifically on one pick, and that's the Sauce Gardner pick. Not only because Sauce Gardner, I mean, am I being hyperbolic? I mean, who's had a better rookie year as a cornerback in, God, like a decade? Since Ronnie Lott. Since yeah. Ronnie Lott was the last uh, uh, rookie defensive back to be first team all, probably. I, believe. I think that that's the stat. Oh, Jeez, I, just hope, I just hope Sauce doesn't end up uh, chopping his finger off like Ronnie well, Lott. Different did. career trajectories, maybe in that regard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ronnie Lott's a badass. I yes. love Ronnie Lott. But uh, 
looking back at the sauce pick is I've also seen this kind of movement percolating around NFL Twitter, specifically with Douglas, but also generally with other GMs where for some reason, if you mention that they hit on a high draft pick, that's not really viewed as like a feather in their cap. It's like, yeah, you're supposed to hit on your high draft picks. Like, let's just look at sauce. Garner. Number one, it wasn't even the first cornerback taken. Derek Stingley was now. And it really wasn't like that was a, an awful move by the Texans. I mean, you look at draft boards. I mean, I think sauce was number one, in a lot of them, but there were a lot of Stingley guys out there. I mean, Stingley was the top recruit. He played at LSU. He had all the hype behind him. Like, that was not a no doubt thing. And then also, like, look at the beginning of the year, those early mock drafts. I mean, Sauce was like a late first, early second round guy. They were still calling him a mod back then. He wasn't even Sauce yet. So this was not a guy who, like, was a dominant high school guy and just had three years where you knew he was going to go in the first round. Like, he was like a top 24-7 guy. That wasn't who he was. That was good GM and by by uh, Joe Douglas. He, he could have took a receiver at four. He could have taken, like, Kayvon Thibodeau good player then of the year sauce Gardner had he could have taken him at four and then just prayed and hoped that they fell a little bit but he said you know what this is the guy that Robert Sala needs to complete his defense and you know what best rookie season the cornerback has had I think in a decade I remember Revis was close I think I remember Champ Bailey too like when he came in was like immediately Marshawn okay, Champ Bailey well Marshawn Lattimore Marshawn Lattimore now sauce was better than Marshawn yeah, just, Lattimore he was really good Lattimore I'm just throwing him out there he, he was he was God, that was the that was the Corey Davis year. That was right after him, I think, because he he went to eleven, I think. Marshawn Lattimore. That, that was that like, crazy what? Saints draft class. That was Ryan Ramchek, Marshawn Lattimore, uh, uh, Alvin Kamara, Marcus Williams. Ugh. I mean, the, God, if they won a Super Bowl with that, that would have been like top three yeah, ever. Dare I say, class. shades of the twenty twenty two Jets draft class. I mean, maybe because there's a Garrett Wilson there. There's a Brees Hall there. There's a couple other guys at the back end of the roster percolating around, but none of it would have been what it was. Would not have been as highly regarded or as heralded as it was if they didn't get Sauce Garner and he didn't play like an all pro corner immediately. For sure. And I, th- I, I'm so glad you said that about the, uh, it not being like a slam dunk, obvious, no doubt pick, because I would say if you took every mock draft from from that time, you know, from the days leading up to that draft, more people had the Jets draft than Kayvon Thibodeau than, than Sauce Gardner. And I'd say more. I did. Actually, I had them taking Sauce at 10, if you could imagine that. But I had Kayvon I, at 4. I'm sure I did as well. And I was at that time, I was like, I'd be happy with Thibodeau or Sauce, but I'd lean Thibodeau. I was like 1A Thibodeau, 1B Sauce. That was kind of where my mindset was at. And now looking back, I mean, no disrespect to Thibodeau, who did have a very good rookie season, and I think he's going to have a really good career. But – given what sauce did and, and how incredible he was like unbelievably incredible. Uh, it's, it seems like a no doubt pick, but it definitely wasn't that at the time you're, so you're hundred percent right there. That entire draft class, I wrote that down. That was also my, my, uh, I think the best move that Joe Douglas has made. It's not one move. I think it's all the moves. Obviously the sauce Gardner pick is the home run pick. That is the star of that, of that class. But he drafted a guy, Garrett Wilson, who had the best rookie season in, in of any receiver in jets history. He had 1100 yards with the worst quarterback play in the NFL. So that's a, that's a, a home run pick right there. Traded up for Brees Hall, which that was a move that nobody really saw coming at the time. That's another one of those where it's not really a no-doubt pick at all. In fact, there were a lot of critics, we've talked about them on the show, that were saying, oh, the Jets traded up for a running back. Well, Brees Hall. They should have taken Malik they Willis. Taken Malik Willis, right, who now might not even make the Titans roster. Who knows? Uh, but, you know, Brees Hall, in the obviously limited action last year, was one of the best running backs in football. He was top 10 in scrimmage yards 
uh, when he got hurt. And that was with just playing four games with over 50% of snaps. He wasn't even the lead back at the start of the season. So that's crazy. Brees Hall is great. I think we're going to see a lot more from hope, hopefully from Jermaine Johnson, from guys like Michael Clemens and Max Mitchell, where you had kind of late round hits there. I'm still optimistic that Jeremy Ruckert could be a find in the third round because, you know, it's, again, we talked about this last week, but it's, it's totally normal for a young tight end to, to kind of have a red shirt first year. So I think given what we've seen in OTAs, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Jeremy Ruckert is your starting tight end in 2024. And if that happens, yeah, I think we're talking about this Jets draft class as, as just as good as that 2017 Saints class, which was crazy. So Definitely, that has to be Joe Douglas's best move. But we're forgetting another one. Not forgetting it, but we just haven't mentioned it to this point, where before that 2022 draft class, this was the move that every Jets fan was like, this is what did it. This is, you know, how good Joe Douglas is. And it's the Jamal Adams trade. It, it has to be the Jamal Adams trade, because if you look back on it, the Jets essentially traded Jamal Adams for Garrett Wilson and Elijah Vera Tucker. Obviously, there's more to it than that. But roughly that was the net of that trade, which they traded a player who did not want to be there, who had made it very clear, who did not play a premium position, who needed a a new contract, a record setting contract. And they got two first round picks from that. That's insane. It was insane at the time. Everybody knew it was insane at the time. And now seeing, unfortunately, I'll say, unfortunately, how Adam's career has gone in Seattle. He's had injury trouble. He definitely has not been the same player he was with the Jets. He's not a top five safety anymore. I don't think he's top 10 safety. Well, he did set the record for sacks by a defensive bass. It's not nothing, but he was a better player in New York for sure. And he didn't have the injury troubles that he's, that he's had in Seattle. So uh, unfortunately, you know, that, that part, that's not, that's out of his control, but he just hasn't been as good in Seattle as he was with the jets. So looking back, even at the time, it, it seemed like a steal. And I think looking back, it absolutely seems like one of the more lopsided trades in recent NFL history. I know we have the Russell Wilson trade. There's a lot up there, the Deandre Hopkins trade, but I, I think, you know, we'll look back on that in like 10 years, five, 10 years. And I'll, we'll say that might be the most lopsided trade in the Jets favor in franchise history. So that definitely has to be included as well. Geez, that should have been in the bold. I don't segment name the another idea. more lopsided trade in favor of the Jets. Maybe this is just me. Maybe it's just like residual, like, cause I love Jamal Adams as a player. Like he's especially my favorite out. player on the entire, I, he was my favorite athlete. I, I was on record saying that at the time he was my favorite athlete before everything that went down. I, I, I still don't, I have no ill will towards Jamal Adams, by the way. No ill will. Right. Because here are the things that kind of, number one, one of the main reasons he left was he did not want to play for Adam Gaze, which is a very, that is a perfectly valid sure. compliment, uh, compliment, very valid uh, complaint. Like I get you there, Jamal Adams. That is not a reason to, oh, he's not on board with the Jets rebuilding project. Were you Jets fans? Were you on board with Adam Gaze? Because then don't, don't get on him for not being on it. And then number two, I mean, he got his money, and then Seattle is a playoff team, and I think now they got this kind of like proto Legion of Boomy thing with Devin Witherspoon and Tariq Woolen and him and Quandre. De- I mean, that it's not like he just vanished off the face of the earth. It's not like he just pulled like a Le'Veon Bell and he's just gone. So I, I think it's obviously the Jets won that trade very handily, and they wouldn't have had their starting left guard and probably best offensive lineman in Elijah Vera Tucker. And a guy who I think is going to be a future All-Pro receiver in Garrett Wilson. So that's that's a win-win. But the Jets, man, that is maybe win-win's the wrong word because the Jets got like maybe three wins in that trade. But definitely, and that's like I, I'm not saying one. that you know Jamal fell off a cliff or anything. It's unfortunate that he missed pretty much all of last year because I really do want to see him healthy again because we haven't really seen a fully healthy Jamal Adams since he was with the Jets because both years he's had with Seattle, he was hurt, and then last year he missed like the entire season. 
Uh, but I, I just, you know, I look up like I, his, his PFF grades have been really bad. He's not bad. Like he's not a bad safety by any means. He's still a very good player. But if you're trading him, I think it's more so like the principle of what they were able to get for a player who did not want to be there. He made it very clear he didn't want to be there. He needed a, a new contract, a I believe it was the highest contract of any safety at the time when he when he did get paid by Seattle. They had no leverage, essentially, and still got two first-round picks, which is great for a player who doesn't play a premium position, who was again, I'm not gonna use this phrase this word in a way that's I don't I don't mean this word in a way that's gonna like shit on Jamal Adams, but he was being a malcontent and he was intentionally being a malcontent because he wanted out, and that's that's his prerogative, right? But he was going, he was talking yeah. to Mini Schmetta and doing an interview with him, basically just crapping all over the Jets. This is a guy they got two first round picks for. That's crazy. And of course, turning those first round picks into Garrett Wilson and Elijah Vera Tucker, that's why that's got to be up there for me. But yeah, that 2022 draft class and Jamalin trade, and maybe, maybe the Aaron Rodgers trade. It's too early to say, but maybe that as well. That maybe that I'll object to Jamal. I'll object to Jamal interviewing with Manish. That is something that is that you can get on him for. Other than that, <laughs> other than that, I don't know. But uh Let's go and head to the big closer for this week's show. Thank you guys for tuning in because we got some some pretty spicy predictions. It's that time of year where you could just survey the roster and say, you know what, I'm feeling really good about the Jets. Let's just let the takes fly because I'm feeling that this roster can really make some noise. I got two of them that I think might be unpopular, but I think they got a chance of coming true if everything kind of breaks my way, everything breaks the Jets' way. One of them on the offensive side of the ball specifically related to Garrett Wilson. Is it crazy, I ask you, Justin, and Jet Press listeners at home or driving or wherever you may be, is it crazy to say that I think Garrett Wilson is going to lead the AFC in receiving yards this year? Oh, I love that. No, I don't think that's crazy. I I didn't say the NFC because that that damn Justin Jefferson in Minnesota, man, that is is another plane and receiver level, man. So let's take him out of it. Let's look at because I know that Devontae Adams is still obviously there. And I know that I think the biggest competitor for this is going to be Tyreek Hill. Because whenever Tua played, I mean, Tyreek Hill was getting like almost 200 yards a game. I mean, he was just unstoppable pretty much. And then his production declined when the backups came in and he still had 1,700 yards. So that's steep competition. But when Garrett Wilson's going, got 1,100 yards with. Awful, I didn't let the defense down Zach Wilson with I'm about to retire Joe Flacco and Mike one good game followed by four games of no touchdowns white, which is what he usually does. 1,100 yards while getting a ton of defensive attention. It's pretty good. Now he's going to get less attention because I think the receiving core is just better. Even with no Elijah Moore, I think the receiving core is better than it was last year. And Aaron Rodgers too. I saw this with Adams too, like on the Green Bay thing. How many plays, you can go look it up, how many plays – did he just not even look at anybody else and just try to throw it to Devontae Adams, just have some sort of forget even calling a play, just you get open and I'll get it to you. Now, obviously, that takes years and years and years of chemistry to really perfect like that. But who's to say Aaron Rodgers and Garrett Wilson can't have some sort of connection like that? And then he just says, you know what? I'm not going to worry about that. Just Garrett, get open. I'm going to chuck it to you. It worked for Devontae Adams. Why can't it work for Garrett Wilson? You're you're 100% right about that. And I think we've already kind of seen that in OTAs where I, I obviously, again, it's very early. They're still practicing in shorts. But Garrett Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, every report coming out of training or coming out of OTAs has been that they are very quickly establishing a rapport with each other and establishing that chemistry. Uh, I think there was one play that the Jets posted on their social media where it was just Rodgers looking to his right, looking to his right the entire time. And then just basically without even checking to see if Garrett Wilson's open, turns to his left, Fires an open Garrett Wilson right on the sideline who drags his feet to make the catch. 
I would not be surprised if we see a lot more of that this season. You're projecting that Garrett Wilson could be, you know, the AFC leader in receiving. And I think that that's fair because the guy had 1,100 yards last year with the worst quarterback play in the NFL. Now he's got Aaron Rodgers throwing him the ball. And I'll say this, as you know, as opposed to someone like Tyree Kill, who there's a lot of mouths to feed in that Miami offense. Now he he still put up insane numbers last year with those same mouths to feed. But you have Jalen Waddell in an offense. You have other guys that you got to throw to. Garrett Wilson doesn't really have that incredible competition. There's a lot of solid players that are going to be, you know, in competition with him for targets, like the two tight ends, like, like Alan Lazard, like Corey Davis, Michael Hardman, but none of them are, are nearly the threat that Garrett Wilson is. So if he stays healthy, if Aaron Rodgers stays healthy, and if this Jets offense clicks the way that the team hopes it will, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Garrett Wilson led the AFC in receiving. Uh, I think that that's a good take. I will have, I have two bold predictions as well. One's positive, one's negative. I really want to end on a positive note. I don't want to end on a negative note. So I will say I'll end on a, I'll end mine on a positive note okay. because I got one other positive. So you got two one. positives. I'm the only one with a negative. I had to. I'm sorry. I have to. It's not all right. Let's go, Mr. Pessimist. Let's I, see what it is. It's out of it's it's Mr. Realist. I'm being realistic. Okay. So <laughs> I don't even think this should be a bold take, but I think that Jets fans are gonna a lot of Jets fans are gonna think it's a bold take. Uh, And it's not even like a significant one. This isn't like, oh, Garrett Wilson, you know, whatever is going to suck this year or something like that. No, I (laughs) I don't know, man. I think uh, I think that Bryce Huff is going to be inactive pretty much every game with a healthy defensive line rotation. That's my take. I I love Bryce Huff. I absolutely love him. He was one of the most efficient pass rushers in the entire NFL last year. And Jets fans are really hyping him up. And they should be because he's great. He's really, really good. Jets placed a second round tender on him this year. They clearly value him, but there's, I don't see a spot for him in the rotation with Will McDonald being there. Now injuries are going to happen. I'm not saying Bryce Huff is not going to play in 2023 because injuries will happen. They will likely happen before the season starts. It's bound to happen. The Jets were super lucky with defensive injuries last year. That's already not happening with the Chuck Clark injury. So injuries are going to happen. Bryce Huff will play, but in a completely healthy defensive line rotation, there isn't room for him because you have Carl Lawson, you have John Franklin Myers, and I know he could play on the inside. I know that's possible, and I know he will play some on the inside. Same goes for Michael Clemens, but that's not going to be their primary role, and they'll only do that on passing downs. And you basically drafted Will McDonald to fill that Bryce Huff role because I don't think Will McDonald's playing early downs early in his career. He's not going to be a two-down or you know first and second-down player probably because you're probably going to have Carl Lawson and Jermaine Johnson and John Franklin Myers playing those roles as well as a D tackle. You can rotate Quentin Williams. You can move Michael Clemens inside. Quentin Jefferson, Al Woods. They got a lot of bodies there. Will McDonald is basically taking Bryce Huff's role. And if Will McDonald's healthy, I don't see where Bryce Huff has a role. I don't think he's active at all on game days. And I said this uh, like a couple of days ago on Twitter that he might, you know, I was like, um, I forgot. It was some, some tweet about Bryce Huff being inactive. And I was like, uh, you know, I'm going to be really upset if this happens. It's going to happen. And I remember when the Jets drafted Will McDonald, I also tweeted that out and I got a lot of backlash. I think it was even Damian Woody replied to me and was like, and I love Damian Woody. I love D Woody's the best. Yeah, Woody's the best. Uh, But he was just like, they didn't, you know, play. They did, they they value him too much for that to happen. They play, I forget exactly what he said, but he was basically saying that's not going to happen. I just don't see a world where in a fully healthy defensive line rotation, he's active. That's my take. I don't think that's a bold take, but it's a take that unfortunately I think a lot of Jets fans don't want to hear. I don't want to say thankfully, but injuries will happen. So I assume he still will play. And when he does play, I, he should still be really good because he was great last year. But that's my take. I just I just don't think Bryce Up is active in a fully healthy defensive line rotation. No, I, I could buy that. I could buy that just because like Huff is a, a limited player, a good mm-hmm. player, but a limited player, just physically. 
There's only so much he could do. And again, you brought up McDonald. It does seem kind of like a like-for-like replacement. I guess the Jets just don't value Bryce Huff like we do. Otherwise, they wouldn't use a top 15 pick on the guy who is the target of my second Mm. bull prediction. This one's going to be really bold, and you're going to call me a loony nutcase for it. I probably won't use those exact words, but yeah. I will say, excluding Will Anderson, Will McDonald will have the most sacks of any rookie. Excluding Will Anderson. How many are you thinking? I'm going to say probably in the seven to eight range, I think is what Will McDonald's going to get. Because as we brought up before, I, this point is, I know that they brought it up on draft day and stuff like that. It's really being minimized, the fact that they had him playing the 4-I at 235. Quinn and Williams plays the 4-I like regularly. Mm-hmm. And they had Will McDonald, who's like 80 pounds lighter playing that. How the hell is he supposed to get gaudy sack numbers? When they put him on the outside, you know what? He did. Double-digit sacks in back-to-back years. He reminds me a lot of Carl Lawson in his rookie year with the Bengals. Well, Carl Lawson, again, was a fourth-round pick. He had some injury problems. He was probably more talented than that. He just fell a little bit. He got in this situational pass rushery role. What do you know? Eight sacks. And if you look at the uh, if you look at the draft this year for 2023, like obviously I think Will Anderson is one of the best edge prospects to come out in a while. And in any year where a quarterback wouldn't go number one, he is a very clear number one pick he's just in my opinion a, a freak like a miles garrity prospect so i'm going to exclude will anderson from this debate if you look at the guys who were, went in 2023 i mean tyree wilson is a guy who is a good player i think he's very raw and for how big and strong he was i know he got double teamed a lot he didn't really like light things up at texas tech i think he was more like a seven eight sack guy at texas tech so i think that there could be a little bit of an adjustment for him, Lucas Van Ness, I just didn't love as a first-round guy. I thought he was a second-round guy. thought they overdrafted him a little bit. And I think with their rotation, Van Ness probably isn't going to get a ton of snaps early on. And then you go down the more. I mean, Kalaja Kansi's on the interior. Maisie Smith, not a pass rusher. Miles Murphy, Felix Anadike Uzama, okay players. Not guys that I think are really going to be in that 7-8 sack range, mostly not only because of them, but because of how the rosters are laid out. If you get Will McDonald in that Bryce Huff sort of role and just let him fire off the edge, why couldn't he end up with seven, eight sacks? I think he's a better pass rusher than Jermaine Johnson. I know Jermaine only had two and a half, but I mean, wh- why couldn't he do that? He, he's built perfectly for, I think, the role Robert Sala wants to put him in. They wouldn't they wouldn't invest a guy who, if Aaron Rodgers plays all the snaps he's supposed to play and they lose that pick, he's going to probably be the only first-round pick they have in two years. That makes it one of the most valuable picks the Jets have had in quite some time. They're not going to use that on a guy who's going to compete with it. They're going to create all sorts of ways to get Will McDonald on the field. So I think that's going to help inflate the numbers. You know, when you first said that prediction, I was like, hmm, that's that's really bold. I'm like, I don't know if he's going to be able to play enough for that. But then you start listing off. You're, you're right. The guys in this draft class, outside of Will Anderson, there's not really a slam dunk home run guy who's going to get a bunch of sacks this year because – Tyree Wilson, you know, he he's another guy who's a, he's a he's a work in progress. I even think Lucas Van Ness, to an extent, is a work in progress. And like you mentioned, he's not going to. He didn't start in college, Lucas exactly. Van Ness. And he's also, like you mentioned, yeah. not going to get a ton of snaps necessarily right away in that Packers rotation. Kalijah Kansi, uh, Felix Anadike Uzama, Miles Murphy. Like I'm just I I I look at those Bosky with New Orleans second right. rounder, and I'm like nope. I'm looking at it and I'm like you know. You might be onto something here. I don't know if he's going to get eight sacks. Uh, although obviously, if he compl- if he really finds his groove in those like twenty five to thirty percent of snaps that he's playing, maybe he does. I think Bryce Hopp last year played like twenty percent of snaps. So for projecting, 
that he plays a little bit more than Huff, then maybe he'll play like 25, 30% of snaps. Maybe he does find his groove and maybe he does get into that like six, seven, eight sack range because that would be great. Oh, I got a tickle in my throat, baby. Hold on. How many did Huff have last year? Like three and a half? I think? I think Huff had like two and a half, three, something like that. He got a ton of. Practice. So, yeah, again, I love Bryce Huff. He's not as talented as Will McDonald. So, if Bryce Huff can get three in that in that time frame, why can't Will McDonald get sacked? Yeah, Huff had three and a half. He had a lot of pressure. So, I guess it's also about converting those pressures then into sacks. And maybe Will McDonald can do yeah. that. Well, I think that's one of the things that really appealed to Robert Sala was how good he was at not only getting the pressure, but getting to the guy. And then obviously the forced fumbles were a huge part of his evaluation, a huge trait that the Jets like. I think he's built for success as a rookie. He just needs to add a little more weight, but that you could do that. You know, that's why you have nutrition staff. For sure. Yeah. I think at first glance, that seems like more of a bold take than it is. But then when you look at the rest of the draft class, I don't think that that's that bold of a take. So I like that take a lot. I like that prediction. I hope it happens. And now let's end on another positive note. I have my my positive bold prediction. You know, forget the Bryce Huff stuff. That's that's not necessarily positive. That's negative. Positive prediction. I think that Mekhi Becton stays healthy this year. Starts maybe every game, whether it's a right tackle, whether he plays some left tackle. I don't know. I think he establishes himself as a long term building block, and I think he's your 2024 Week One starting left tackle. That's my bold prediction for Mekhi Becton. Obviously it's hard to project injuries, right? Like that it's impossible to just predict what's going to happen. But I really think that he's made considerable progress to get himself in excellent, excellent shape and conditioning this season or this off season. Uh, he's, he's just, you know, everything from like his diet to how much weight he's lost. And he's had a long time to kind of rest and rehab from his previous injury. I think he comes in if he's motivated, which he appears to be, I think he comes in, he starts week one at right tackle Maybe Dwayne Brown gets hurt at some point because he is, he does still have that that shoulder injury. So I'm not sure he's going to play the entire season. I think Mekhi Becton, where, whether it's at right tackle or left tackle, I think he plays the whole year. I think he plays really, really well. He picks up where he left off in his rookie season, and he establishes himself as a long-term building block for this Jets team. And you go into next year with him as your week one left tackle. That's my prediction. Maybe I'm being optimistic. Maybe I'm being hopeful. Maybe this is just what I want to happen. But I really think there's a good chance it happens. And if that does happen, this Jets offensive line can be can be good, can be very good this year. I know there's a lot of question marks, rightfully so, with the offensive line because of Becton, because of Dwayne Brown's uncertainty, because of we don't even know what's going on at center. But I think one, like the biggest question mark is Becton. And if he can answer that question with excellent play and he picks up where he left off his rookie season, this Jets offensive line can be really good. And and honestly, if that's the case, the whole Jets offense is is, you know, could be one of the best in the league. I, I just think that he needs to compete with uh, Jet Press draft spotlight favorite Joe Tipman for the title of best lineman. Oh, not, not even Vera Tucker. Hmm. Yeah, I just, Vera Tucker with the injury, he'll be good. I just don't, that's a bad, bad injury for a lineman. I don't know, it might take him a little bit, I think, to get back. I mean, I mean, like this for a lineman is not, that's not an area you he want is already, to. He is already practicing up. in OTAs, I believe, which is, which is he's further along than, than Becton and uh, Dwayne Brown because they, they weren't practicing OTAs. Yeah, it's just, that's not live bullets, though, true. you know. That's true. Yeah, that's that's yeah. my take with Mekhi Becton. I want it to happen. I hope it happens. I think it'll happen. I'll say that. I think it will happen. And with Justin's very tepid thinking it'll happen, we will close. We will close this episode of the Jeff Press Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it may be that you get your podcast. By the way, quick shout-out to all of our users over in the British Isles because we got a bunch – in the UK and a bunch in Ireland recently. And we also so have that, thanks for the recent spike we over still there. Have that Botswana viewer that listened. 
Wait, uh, yeah, the one guy who listened to Botswana was not a recurring. I guess, I guess we don't have a very big footprint over there, but uh, he hasn't got to so. appeal more to the Botswana user base. That's what we got to do. We're, we're doing well enough with uh, with Ireland and and the UK. So thank you over there if you're listening. Shout out to you, Justin. Why don't you take us? Of course, us yeah. Before I I do the whole you know the the scripted outro that we normally do, definitely check out my Thomas Morrison interview. Uh, I know Mike mentioned it at the top of the show, but absolutely, Thomas is the best. This is the second time I've talked with him in the last couple of months uh we just talked a lot about what he's seen so far at jets otas his takeaways from aaron Rodgers, some quotes about sauce gardner garrett wilson it was a great time really cool interview definitely recommend checking it out and with that thank you all for joining us on the show today you can follow mike on twitter at by michael luciano you can follow me on twitter at justin t freed follow the jet press at the jet press download the jet press podcast wherever you get your podcast apple spotify uh overcast gonna shout that out every time if i remember uh also check us out on youtube subscribe like hit that notification bell you guys know what to do at this point we stream live every wednesday at 3 p.m eastern time thank you all for listening to the jet press podcast i've been justin freed that's been mike luciano see you guys next time For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.